This message is brought to you from Calon Church. We pray that it encourages and inspires you. Morning. Lovely to see you. You all look fantastic this morning. Um, we're going to jump right into the word, if that's okay with you. You know, I've been thinking about some of the words that have been coming out of this church and the other ones I've been watching online and listening to. And I am just in awe of what God's doing with us all at this time of the way he's speaking to us. And I just wanted to strip it back this morning and just speak about God and Jesus and what Jesus did for us if that's okay with you. So we're going to jump right in. I have no title. I toyed with a few. There was one, I think um, I called it a tale of two gardens or a tale of two trees or two trees in a garden. Anyway, I couldn't come up with one. So you make up your own if that's okay. Or you can just simply say uh, that word Andrea gave whenever. I'm fine with it all. Don't worry about it. So we're going to kick right off. We are stripping it right back. We're going way back to the Garden of Eden. So way back in Genesis 2 and 3. God has created man and he's created woman and they are in the Garden of Eden. Now the Garden of Eden was lush, it was perfect, it was beautiful. It is the emblem of how reciprocal their relationship was with God. It was perfection. Not only was the garden and creation and everything about it perfection, because God is perfection, but Adam and Eve were created as well in perfection to enjoy a perfect relationship with God. Until God tells them there's only one thing they're not allowed to do. There's always one thing, isn't there? There's always one thing. And that is the fly in the ointment very often. Because instead of focusing on all the garden and all that freedom and all that love and perfection, they focused on the one thing. They were told very clearly by God to not go near or eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But a serpent comes along. There's always a serpent. A serpent comes along and says to Eve, did he see, really say that? Did God really say that? Casting doubt on God's goodness, ca casting doubt on her relationship with God. And he persuades her. But she takes up the, the, the challenge through her own free will to eat of the tree. When she's eaten of the tree, she hands it to Adam and Adam eats of the tree as well. At that moment, perfection is lost. Relationship is broken. For they have violated God's law. And that's what original sin is. That violation of God's divine and holy law. They were asked not to do one thing. What did they do? The one thing they were asked not to do. You know, the lure of sin. The lure, the seduction of temptation. The seduction of knowledge, importance, wisdom, pleasure. All of these things that come and tempt us, you know, are always presented as a worthwhile cause. Are always presented as a path more easily travelled. Are always presented as something that other people, mainly God, would deem unreasonable. It's okay for you to do that. God just wants you to be happy. You know, we tell ourselves these lies. And this is what happens here. It happens so quickly. It happens so, you know, randomly. But they had to be near the tree for it to happen. Stay away from that temptation, friends. Stay away from it. It'll suck you in. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about this morning. That's just a little sidebar. So here we are in the garden and their fear, their fear that God wasn't who he said he was, their fear that God was a bit more mean than he had led them to believe, ruined them. And that's what happened in the garden. They sinned against God. Perfection was lost. And at that point, the only way that we could bridge the gap between God and us is for a saviour. Humankind needed redemption. But why did we need to be saved? The need to be saved comes from the fact that we sinned against God. 
against God only. Adam and Eve didn't sin against each other. They didn't sin against the tree. They didn't sin against Satan. They sinned against God. And that break in relationship requires a saviour. You know, it wasn't like when God assaulted God's throne. That was all about Satan wanting his glory, which he will never get, by the way. It wasn't like that. We broke relationship with God. And God said, you know what? They're my creation, the pinnacle of my creation. I love them. I want them. I want them. And I'm going to save them. So there was a plan. There was a plan for our saving. Now, some of you, when you watch these words that we put out every Sunday morning, or other churches as well, might be thinking, what on earth do they mean when they say these words? I used to think that when I was a young Christian and I was brought up in church, people used to say words like, um, are you saved? One um, person actually came up to me, I mean, I was 16, and a woman came up to me and said, are you washed in the blood of the lamb? And I remember thinking, oh, good grief, I don't know, I don't know. And when I, uh, uh, what physically does that actually happen when you become a Christian, somebody throws a bucket of lamb blood at you? We need to strip back all these words and remove the mystery from them. Now, listen. I am not a scholar, I'm not a theologian, I am not here to strip bare the intricacies of the Bible and the eschatology of different books. I'm just here to tell you what I know, what has happened in my life, what I believe. And what I believe is that because way back with Adam and Eve, there was a break in relationship, God so desired to have relationship with us that he sent Jesus Christ for us. Because you see, there is no self-redemption. You know, in the modern age, we tell each other, to thine own self be true. You just do what's right for you. You do you, hun. You know, we tell each other, and you will read it, and you will see it, and you will see memes and videos all about how you can make you better. Hey, there is a very, very persuasive argument and an evidence base for self-care and for looking after ourselves and for keeping ourselves emotionally and physically healthy. Yes, amen, tick. But in terms of my spiritual life, in terms of my eternal destination, when I go to heaven, only Jesus can do that. And God ordained that there would be a saviour for us. We can't do it because we are human and God is God. And it is God's will entirely that we would be saved. The heart of God, the Bible tells us, is that none should perish. The heart of God is that this promise, this saviour that was planned from the dawn of time, this Jesus is for everyone. Not just for you or me, but everyone. All we need to do is acknowledge him as king, acknowledge him as our saviour and say thank you and move forward in a life with him. And that is freedom. That is freedom. So why do we need to have a saviour? You know, the only one who could do it was one who was not subject to God's rule. He wasn't created. Jesus always was and always is and always will be. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us, doesn't it? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. I want to read you from the first chapter of John, if that's okay. John chapter one. We all know this, I guess. You know, why do we need it? Why? Why do we need it? Because Jesus is divine. Divine purpose on earth is the redemption of all mankind. And that wasn't a second thought. It wasn't a plan B. It was always planned. Jesus always was. Jesus always was our saviour. He always will be our saviour to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Listen to this. Okay. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him... All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, 
and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. You know what? The law, the law demanded blood. After Adam and Eve, way after Adam and Eve, when Moses came and the Israelites were leaving um, Egypt for the promised land, God gave them a law. He gave it through Moses. We call it the Mosaic law. The law was given on tablets of stone. We call them the Ten Commandments. That law was given so that they could keep the law, keep all those rules, and that God would put them right. They had to keep the law in order to be put right. But you know, that law also demanded blood. That, also, that law also demanded that animals had to be sacrificed for different sins and to be put right with God. One of the animals that had to be sacrificed was a lamb. And the Passover lamb, when the angel of death, in the book of Genesis it tells us, go back and read it, it's marvellous. The angel of death was going to kill all the firstborn sons in Egypt. And the Israelites were told to slaughter lambs and to paint blood over their doors. And the angel of death would pass over. And that um, festival was celebrated by Jews, called Passover festival. And God, in his wisdom, and in his glory, and in his divine nature, sent us the saviour to make up for all of that. We no longer have to kill animals to put ourselves right with God. Jesus came. He is our Passover lamb. He came so that we don't have to keep that law anymore. Jesus perfects the law and prophets, it says in the Bible. He is who he says he is. So what is this word? This is the all-encompassing nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his good news. So the word, who is the word? The word is Jesus. The word always was. Jesus is God. He isn't a plan B. He didn't exist just because God had a whim. He is part of the Trinity, the triune God, which is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They exist as one. So he is not created but existed from the beginning. He was in the beginning and he was God. And in him was life. And that life is light to men. He is light. He is life. He is all glorious, my friends. He does what he says he will do. He never lets us down. He is the promise. He is everything we need. So this law demanded flesh, demanded blood. And in that form, this word became flesh and walked among us. That's what Jesus did. So the law dictated that only blood would redeem. And Jesus presented himself as the perfect Passover lamb. You know, on the cross when Jesus was dying, none of his bones were broken. When the Jews had to, or the Israelites had to pre pre prepare the Passover lamb, it had to be killed so skillfully and in a certain way that none of its bones were broken. Jesus is our perfect Passover lamb. He died so that we might live. And friends, he also died unbroken so that we can live unbroken. Our lives are healed, restored and redeemed by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he atones for us. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, it means to cover. The blood of the animals would cover, and that would cover our sin, so that our sin was no longer visible to God, and that was pleasing to him. In the New Testament, the word in the Greek changes, and all of a sudden, it means an exchange. 
where Jesus gave himself for us. Our sin isn't just covered by the blood of an animal anymore. Jesus Christ gave his life, shed his blood, and in that exchange for us. As Jesus lay, uh, was hanging on the cross, dying and breathing his last, he said, it is finished. The devil, my friends, tried to give God an itemized bill of every sin we had ever committed of every rotten thing we have ever done proof that we could never be redeemed and we didn't deserve it and with his dying breath Jesus tore it up and said it is finished paid in full we don't have to do anything to pay that back Jesus just wants us to acknowledge him as Lord to say that he is our saviour and to live our lives fully for him in the sure and certain knowledge that there is an anchor holding us who does not sway, who does not fail, who does not let us down ever. Friends, you know, this is what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are redeemed we are redeemed. What does that mean? We are paid for. We are bought. We are set free. We are no longer hostages to our baser instinct, which would have us kept captive. We are set free in Jesus' name. And atonement has two parts. The work of redemption, the work of atonement has two parts. Listen to this. I had to look this up and write it down in case I couldn't remember it properly. So it's legal which is the finished work of Christ meets the demands of the law and man is justified. What that means is you're declared not guilty. Hallelujah, right? It is also moral. The work of the spirit renews the sinful nature in the divine image of man and man is sanctified and that's called being made holy. So with one death, with one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. It tells us that we are now redeemed, declared not guilty, being made holy, we are sanctified, we are justified. All these long words, all you need to know is, all I need to know is how much God loves us. You know, when we talk in John 3 about the only begotten son, that is the word made flesh. The begotten is the same as the word. The Bible joins up. And though Adam and Eve were, some scholars say 4,000 years before Jesus, some say 6,000. Thousands, let's just say thousands. Though Adam and Eve were thousands and thousands of years before Jesus, they ushered in for us the need for a saviour. And that is why we praise God, because we are saved. We can call on his name. You can call on his name right now, and you will be welcomed in and saved. And that requires of us repentance, which means that we turn from the way we're living and walk a path with God, not our own path. We say no to the tree once we know Jesus. We say no to the one thing, the one thing that would have us down, the one thing that keeps us chained, the one thing that keeps you where you are pinned into place. We say no to it because Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection has set us free and free indeed. Amen? Great stuff. You know, I'm going to come to an end now. The tree in the Garden of Eden is a source of our shame, our fall. But you know, the tree that was carved into a cross for Jesus is an emblem of our victory. Jesus bought it all. He paid it all. That victory on a cross brought us life. His death and resurrection brought us life. The cross is a symbol of life, life, and more life. And we can compare gardens, can't we? You know, the Garden of Eden, that was all freedom and perfection and love. But there, where? 
sin came in and there was a fall. Compare that with the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus on his knees is sweating blood and praying for people, praying for us, my friends, and giving all glory to God. Your will be done, not mine. That is the saviour. The humility, the beauty, the power, the majesty of Jesus who gave his life to set us free. Friends, I am so grateful today. I am so grateful for the purchase of my soul, for the forgiveness of sins, for eternal life. And I am pleased and proud and humbled that God would choose me to share it with you. And I want to leave you with the picture of Jesus, with the truth about Jesus, that he is the completed work of the Redeemer is that he is prophet, priest, and king. And the completed person is that he was truly man, truly God, but truly man and God. But for us, he made himself flesh, walked on this earth, gave his life for us, was resurrected and now ascended, sits at the right hand of the Father, praying and making intercession for us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He never forgets us. He never will forget us. He never could forget us. You are so loved this morning, my friend. You are so loved and so am I. And my prayer, my prayer this morning, if you are watching this and you don't know Jesus, is that you will bow down, lay our desires, wants, needs, lay everything before him and say, only you, Jesus. I only want you. My friends, I'm praying for you in this moment. Be blessed, be peaceful, have a lovely day. This message was brought to you from Calon Church. If you want to know more, please check us out online at calon.church.